1: There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting, too much noise altogether.
2: In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silent forever. The Penis Project Podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by Prost. Exercise for Prostate Cancer Incorporated. A not-for-profit charity set up in 2012 by myself. Dr. Joe If you want to know any more information about Prost, including our online service now available, please just go to Prost.com.au. Prost means cheers to your health. So Prost to you. Where I call my home.
1: So stop for a second and listen.
0: So today we're going to talk to Dr. David Sofield and we're going to chat about penile implants. So welcome. Thank you for coming and talking to us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good to be here. So tell me about penile implants. There's What's the typical demographic of a person who would
1: have one? Yeah, so there's probably two broad categories. The most common that we see now is men who've had treatment for prostate cancer mm-hmm. who have ended up with erectile dysfunction as a result and they're typically guys who had very good erectile function up until the point where they had usually an operation for prostate cancer and then they've got sudden and complete erectile dysfunction. um, And a percentage of those will recover over a year or perhaps two Mm -hmm. out from their surgery. But those who don't, and the number is quite high, um, then will need some other form of uh, assistance for their erectile dysfunction. And. So these these are guys who have then been through more conservative means with medication, with tablets, with injections. And then if none of those are working for them or just aren't satisfactory, that's when they'll come to considering a penile implant. So it's kind of a a last resort but ultimately a good solution for the problem when other more conservative means have failed. Mm -hmm. So that would be the biggest group. And then we have another group of men who have erectile dysfunction for other causes. And uh, in the younger age group, say less than 40, that's typically guys with diabetes who get vascular and and nerve problems due to the diabetic process. And then in between is the group of men who just get the standard de novo uh, erectile dysfunction, again, usually due to vascular or arterial disease. And um, they have a more gradual onset and they're... They're probably the group who are least likely actually to come to an implant, I think. Because oh really? it's not such a... They tend, I think, to respond better to medication and so on. Okay. And and it's probably more gradual process and I, I suspect a lot of those guys kind of just get used to it and it gradually tapers off and they don't... Miss it as much. They don't miss it as much. Yeah. Whereas the young diabetic 30-year-old, you know, obviously a lot of them are trying to have families and so on, mm. so it's a big deal. And then the prostatectomy guys go from fine to nothing, you know, overnight literally. And Mm. uh, so for them it's a big big sudden impact and I think they're more motivated, those two groups.
0: Yeah, definitely. And so what about guys with spinal injuries? Do you see many of them?
1: So spinal cord injuries, I don't see many men with that um, but certainly it is a problem for for Mm. guys with spinal cord injury and um, uh, they'll have penile implants put in, not uncommonly, both for erectile function but also for...
0: (laughs) Saved by the bell.
1: Um, Difficulties with urinary function and retraction of the penis or with their reduced dexterity of their hands, sometimes getting hold of their penis if it's not that large can be difficult. Yeah. So sometimes an implant to assist with urinary function for those guys is actually… Helpful. Helpful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so it's something you just mentioned before, which I hadn't thought of before. So you can have a penile implant and still be fertile?
1: Sure. Great, yeah. Yeah, if yeah. you've still got a prostate.
0: Yeah, of course, yeah. 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 But no. if you're a young guy, you've yeah. had type 1 diabetes... Yeah. ...and your penis is failing, yeah. you could still be Prostate's infertile. Prostate's still
1: working, testes are still working... ...assuming those two are, and they usually are in those guys... Yeah, ...then sure, they can still have uh, good fertility.
0: Mm-hmm. And now, the big question I have, if a guy... So if you have prostate cancer, because obviously lots of our listeners have had prostate cancer and they're going along, they've tried pills, they've waited their two years, they've done the rehab and they're not getting their erections back or they're using injections and they're working well but they want the spontaneity. Mm -hmm. That's when I often think, guys, it's a really great thing for them. But what about the guys that come out of surgery, their cancer has gone into where their nerves are, their nerves have been removed and they know they're not going to get their erections back?
1: So those guys, um, I think it's really important to... Be clear about that even from the Mm preoperative stage of things and I'll I'll have a lot of detailed discussions with them and say, look, you know, know, our priorities are get rid of your cancer, number one. Number two, restore your bladder control and thirdly, save your erections. And the degree to which we can do that varies depending on the nature of the cancer. So as you're alluding to, men who've got a locally advanced cancer, then saving nerves is just not possible if you're going to clear the cancer. Yeah. And once those nerves are removed, they don't grow back. Mm. Um, You know, if a segment is gone, they're not going to reconnect. So those guys are not going to recover any meaningful erectile function. Tablets aren't going to work because they require functioning nerves to to produce a result. Injections can work. Mm -hmm. You don't need the nerves for erections to work. I'm sorry, for injections (laughs) to work, for the erections (laughs) to work. Uh, But, uh, yeah, in that group, certainly we can move that time frame forward yep. and say to them, you know, six months out, once you've recovered your bladder control and you you know you know where you're at and you've, you've recovered maybe psychologically and emotionally from your surgery and you're ready to then move consider on. your sexual function, I'm quite happy to be talking about doing a penile implant for those guys six months out from surgery.
0: And is that actually preferable to leaving it longer because there's less so. fibrosis yeah. in the penis? Definitely. Yep. and.
1: And similarly, you know, with the with the injections, if it's going to be a long term thing, then injections potentially can make the results of a penile prosthesis uh, uh, worse. Yeah, because it's more difficult difficult to place. You may not even be able to get it in, or if you do, you may end up with a smaller prosthesis or one that doesn't expand the penis as much as it would have. Okay, because of the scar tissue from the injections. So, and you can also start to introduce penile curvature from prolonged injection therapy. So. For all those reasons, if it's clear that someone's motivated for good long-term erectile function, mm-hmm. uh, then we should be discussing it early on. There's no problem in that first six months if they're using injections for a while. I don't think that's a big issue. But yeah. not going on for two, three more years uh, or more years, I think that's going to make... A difference. ...a difference to your reconstructive options, yeah.
0: And so then what about... So they they've can come in as soon as like six months post-op to have one if they want to. And mm-hmm. if they're still incontinent, can they have like a sling or an artificial sphincter or something inserted at the same time as having an implant? Certainly
1: they can. Uh, and it used to be done quite commonly to do both together. Yeah. My strong preference is to do them separately.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And for most guys with incontinence, sexual function is really of... ...secondary importance way down the list. Well, in fact, they'll avoid sexual contact because they'll leak.
0: Yeah.
1: So I really prefer to fix the incontinence 1st mm-hmm. uh, And again, if someone's got, you know, really bad incontinence... ...they don't have to wait a year to have that fixed. Yeah. It's, if it's... And, and the other thing to say is the two often go together. So it's becoming pretty clear to me through my experience... ...that nerve... ...the, the preservation of erectile nerves and vessels... ...correlates with recovery of incontinence.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: There's no large scientific data to prove that but it's very clear. Mm-hmm. If I do a really wide clearance of the nerves... ...those guys are significantly more likely to be incontinent for longer. Right, okay. And to need a procedure to correct their incontinence. Mm-hmm. So it's quite a common combination that we see. Yeah, having okay. two problems as you know. So I really think wherever possible correct the incontinence first which usually involve a sling or an artificial sphincter, depending on the nature of the situation, and then put in an implant later, you know. And it can be three or four months later. It doesn't have to be a long time, but there's just a risk of cross-infection of the two devices or complications of one affecting the other, Mm -hmm. and then you lose both. So if you put an artificial sphincter in and it gets infected, you haven't put a prosthesis in yet, you can... Take that sphincter out, settle it down, replace that, and then do the penile prosthesis. But if, particularly the penile prosthesis, if that gets infected and has to come out, the results of putting another one down the tracker are Difficult. nowhere near as good. So that's always my advice to do them separately. There are occasions where I'll do them together.
0: Yeah, Okay. Um, but as a rule, that's a, a, rule, a good that's way to preference. go. Yeah. And what about like how long does a penile prosthesis last? Like how long you know? So if I am fifty five years of age mm. and I am, am I likely to need
1: ...a new one in my lifetime. The, the figures are at 10 years about somewhere between 20 and 30%... ...will have had some kind of revision. Right. Okay. Either for failure of the parts was being the most common thing... ...or some other complication. So the complications form into two groups really early and late. The early ones really mostly is infection
0: mm-hmm.
1: or what's called erosion... So, ...and that usually results from some error in the surgery... ...where there's been too much dissection or it's been... Uh, some injuries occurred to either the urethra or the skin and then you get erosion of the implant either into the urethra or out through the skin.
0: So that's sort of like a pressure area? Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the device appears on the surface or in the ure- urinary tract. Then it gets infected and all has to come out. That typically happens in the first few weeks okay. after the surgery. And then long term the main issue is failure of the, the parts. So the valves can stick or stop functioning... Or they can develop a leak in the system, so the saline that it's filled with leaks out, and then the hydraulic doesn't work. effect disappears, and the thing doesn't work anymore. So in that situation, replacing it's quite straightforward. Yeah. Um, okay. So about about yeah twenty twenty odd percent at ten years will have it some revision surgery, but I certainly see a lot of men who've had one in for thirty years, and then now in their late eighties, not using it anymore, but it's, it's still there. Sitting there, and it still actually functions.
0: So. And maintenance, like mm-hmm. how often should they pump it up and let it down just to keep everything functioning? You know, like you want to grease the tyres on yeah, your car right. or whatever.
1: <laughs> no, and it does make sense. I don't think there's any strict rules about that, but certainly if someone wants it to keep functioning in the long term, I'd suggest at least every week or two, it's probably worth just giving it a, a few pumps up and down just to unstick the valves and make sure everything's working properly and avoid atrophy of the tissues around it as well. Yeah. But these older guys I mentioned who are no longer using it, in most cases it would still function. Yeah. Um, and having it there not used, it doesn't seem to cause them any problems.
0: Mm. Now you were telling me earlier, or oh actually first question is I've I've actually watched one happen with you mm. and there's I was really surprised about like the actual insertion is actually much smaller than I imagined. So could you like explain that? Like what how yeah. what
1: you can actually say on the outside? Yeah, so there's there's two approaches. Um, we take to it, but they both involve quite a small incision. One can be, and the way I tend to favour doing it, is on the top of the penis. It's just where the base of the penis meets the pubic bone, just mm-hmm. there. And it's about a two-and-a-half centimetre incision there. Yeah. And it's all done through that. Um, so we go down inside that incision. There's two, well, there's three components to the device. So there's the, there's two cylinders that go into the penis, and they're put in through a very small internal incision in the corpus cavernosum, the erectile tube. And then there's a small pump that goes into the scrotum and then a reservoir which contains the fluid that operates the device is tucked into the pelvis behind the pubic bone. Yeah, It's all done through that, usually through that small incision. The other approach is to go underneath the penis where the penis meets the scrotum. Right. We I tend to only use that if someone's very obese or got a large fat pad or some other previous surgery around the pubic area that mm-hmm. might make... Getting in there difficult.
0: Okay, because that bit would be more prone to infection, would yeah, it? Because more prone to infection it's sweaty and, and, and more
1: prone to wound breakdown. You yep. end up with a bigger incision. Yeah. Um and probably more bruising and so on. So yeah. The other oh, approach okay. called the infrapubic approach is the one I favor.
0: Sure. Mm. And there's two different types. So there's it's not all about erectile function, is it? Mm. We were just talking earlier yeah. before on, we were on air about the buried penis and mm. how you can deal with that. So
1: Yeah, so there's what we've been talking about so far is the inflatable Penile prosthesis, which is the best option for sexual function, yeah. But being a three three piece device, a hydraulic system, as we've already talked about, it's prone to um, some complications with the operation of it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So there's a group of men who either who who have um, after after they've developed their erectile dysfunction from whatever cause find that their penis is a lot smaller than it used to be. And after surgery, it's not because it's been physically shortened, but it's because of the reduction in blood flow to the penis um, and the lack of erections through the 24-hour cycle that the resting size of the penis is smaller. And then over time, with less erections, there is probably truly atrophy and contraction of the tissue, so the penis really does become smaller. So for some men, they're not too bothered about the sexual function side of things, but they may well start to suffer significant problems due to retraction of the penis back into the pubic fat pad and and, you know if they've got a good good sized belly they can't see the penis either so then and particularly then if it's combined with a bit of incontinence this can set up a real really difficult situation to manage.
0: I've seen a guy that had the worst nappy rash Mm. I've ever seen because he was just wet
1: constantly from a
0: buried penis.
1: Yeah and if it's not addressed what happens is eventually the skin contracts around that penis and it becomes really buried so you can't externalise it at all and then it's a very challenging reconstructive procedure to sort that out, usually involving skin grafts and other things. So increasingly I'm, I'm, I'm interested in getting really good results in, in using um, what's called a malleable prosthesis, so not the inflatable device, but a malleable prosthesis. It's a much simpler option. Mm-hmm. So in this case it's only the two cylinders, no pump and no reservoir, no fluid involved. The patient doesn't have to operate it um it's put in through again a very small incision each side of the penis this time more on the um towards the head of the penis about a third of the way back a small incision each side and the two cylinders are put in and they're malleable so they they can be bent to any position
0: so they can oh. be used
1: for sexual function okay um the erection's not as solid and and uh well supported as it is in a Inflatable prosthesis and you don't get yep. the same increase in girth that you get with an inflatable prosthesis. But the length can be quite good. Okay. And the rigidity can certainly be sufficient for um, intercourse. Uh, and, and a lot of guys will use it for that. But the main benefit of this in this group we're talking about is that it externalises the penis, brings it back out to length so they can get hold of it easily to pass And they urinal. can
0: use a urinal, I suppose, you and stand urinal. up to wee again.
1: If they are incontinent still, they've got they can wear a pad which will deal with it without mm. it being all into their skin folds and so on. And um, that's very appealing because the complication rate's much lower, nothing for the patient to operate, and they can simply bend it up to whatever angle they require to pass urine or or have intercourse, and then uh, you can bend it down yeah. to follow the contour of the scrotum and it's very discreet. You could still yeah. go so to they the don't beach in ch- a pair of speedos, no one would know it's there.
0: Really? You know, it's, okay. It's and what about if your grandkid discreet. sits on your lap but doesn't feel like you've got a... Not really. No? You'd have to be... Really yeah, noticing, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's
1: bent down. I don't think they'd notice anything. So, yeah, yeah. That's a really good option, which I'm, I'm using increasingly actually, and often actually that one we're, we're quite happy to combine with a anti-incontinence procedure, no, so because it's exactly not going that in the pelvis, and yeah. there's less. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's not going in the pelvis. There's not um, nothing going into the scrotum, and the scrotum is actually the most common site of infection with any okay. of these implants. So, cause we're staying out of that area, and uh, where we're inserting the. Um, the anti-incontinence device is often quite separate or is quite separate from where the penile prosthesis is going in. So,
0: Okay. So if you're going to have a malleable one, it, it is possible to have your incontinence mm. fixed at the same yeah, time. It, it
1: yeah, it is. Yeah.
0: So, so a yeah. common question I get asked whenever I talk to guys about this is, can I get a bigger penis? And I know the answer to that, but I think it would be great for you to explain mm. about the
1: size. Yeah, it's a common question. So if you came along with normal... A normal penis and normal erectile function, putting a prosthesis in is not going to make it bigger. No. So the biggest it's ever going to be is what it was when you had a natural erection. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people selling expensive and quite futile procedures for increasing the size of the penis. But for the guy who's got a, 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 let's say, post-radical prostatectomy, you know, penis that's a bit shriveled up because there's no blood flow, Yeah. certainly that penis is going to be bigger at rest with an implant in Sure. and when that implant is, that's when it's flaccid and when that impla- implant is pumped up, he'll get back to very close to what he had before okay. but not bigger than what he had before Yeah. and so a simple test we do in the office is grab the head of the penis and stretch it, you know, firmly and that's the, and you can measure that length, that's the length you're going to get right. with an implant. Okay. And a imp- really important concept that to talk to people about is that the implant, or, or in a natural erection, there's two separate erectile systems going on, if you like. There's the shaft of the penis, which is the corpus cavernosum, or cavernosi, two of them. And then you've got the glands or the head of the penis, which has got its own erectile tissue. Yeah. With an implant, that glands does not enlarge. It stays mm. quite soft, generally. Um, so to the extent that that doesn't enlarge, you don't get that bit of... One centimetre, maybe, of extra length that you would have got, yeah, naturally. Um, there is some, and we've talked about it. Some mm. men will get some benefit with Viagra type drugs. Mm. They will get a bit of swelling of the head of the yeah, penis. Yeah, I've just found implant, you know, in. So just like twenty five
0: yeah. milligrams. That it seems help. to give it a bit of extra blood flow. Yeah. yeah,
1: but the 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 modern implants do stretch lengthwise and in girth, so they do produce, you know, really. A good, a good erection, but it um, won't enlarge beyond what you're naturally...
0: So what about if, got you know, growers and showers? Yeah. You know, what yeah. about if you were a grower? Yeah. So normally your penis looked quite small yeah. when you're just hanging out yeah. and then when you get an erection it looks good. Yeah. If you get a implant in, then do you become a
1: shower all the time? You probably would to some extent. Yeah. yeah. You'd be somewhere in between that grower, and where you were because even at in its flaccid state, when it's empty, the the implant's still got a certain amount of substance to it. Yeah, a bit of rigidity. A little bit, yeah. Again, it's quite discreet. You know, you can wear Speedos, no one would know. But um, it's uh, certainly more than when the penis is empty. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Mm. great. Mm.
0: Um, What else was I going to ask you? Oh, what about any, like, change in sensitivity or feeling? Mm. or,
1: Or would it feel the same to use it? Um, most guys report it does. I have had some patients complain of a reduction in sensation. Mm-hmm. and It is one of the risks when you're putting it in, that, yep. uh, particularly through the, the pubic incision. Um, the little nerves that supply the head of the penis run through there, so you've got to be really careful to stay away from those. Mm-hmm. Um, but even without dividing them or doing any damage to them, they can still uh, be affected by the bruising, the inflammation and so on, of the surgery, and for a period of time, quite a percentage of guys in the first couple of months might say they got less sensation. Yeah, okay. But almost invariably that'll recover uh, over, you know, three to six-month period. Yeah. But generally there's no reason for it to be less sensitive than it was before.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah. Mm. Well, it, now, have I missed asking you anything that we should have talked... We are going to also interview one of your patients, okay. so we're going to get both sides yeah, of the story, good. which I think would be yeah, really good. Yeah, yeah. I think... Um, um,
1: yeah. It's important, and I, I do emphasise to these guys that it's not a it's not a walk in the park having an implant put in. That mm. that first period after it is not fun. So and what it, is the quite, downtime? It's quite sore for up to four weeks. Right, okay. Mm. So most people are going to be off work for at least two.
0: Okay, so you can't go home and use your new toy the next week. Certainly or anything. not. And no. so the,
1: the issues I see post-operatively are, firstly, people can be surprised by how sore it is, and, and the more I've done, the more I emphasise it they're not going to be very happy with me for a f- couple <laughs> of weeks. <laughs> and, yeah, they're not, they're not happy initially. Um, but it's worth it because by week three or four, it usually that all resolves. Um, and I tell people it's going to be a six-month process probably from the day we put it in until they are really using that completely comfortably and yeah. no concerns at all.
0: So they need to have a bit of stickability if exactly they're going to do right, this. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And there's a process of gradual activation of this device. So when we put it in, we leave it inflate, partly inflated for the first week or two mm-hmm. because where the pump goes in the scrotum is going to be too sore to operate it initially. So yeah. I leave it partly inflated just to Im- get itself settled in. And then once it's comfortable enough, two, three weeks, we'll get the guy to start cycling it, pumping it up halfway, letting it down,
0: mm-hmm. gradually
1: building that up over a few weeks. Yeah. And then most people are ready to, to have intercourse probably around two months. Okay. Not much earlier than that. Yeah. And some a bit longer.
0: Yeah, so it sounds a lot like a boob job. You yep. can't use those as soon as you take them home That's either, right, so exactly. Yep. So, yeah,
1: these are sensitive areas and, <laughs> and, you know, putting things inside them is, uh, is initially yep. quite painful. And then the other thing for, you know, the other problems I see longer term people coming back is they say, oh, it's not as – we talked about how big it is. or well, it's not as big as it mm. used to be. And usually I'll find with those guys they're not pumping it up adequately. Right. Just stopping okay. short of where they could go with it.
0: Yeah. It's also a bit like the fish that got away, I think, as well. You know, you yeah, can often you, you need to be a yeah, bit realistic exactly about. Exactly right, and yeah.
1: most of these people haven't had a proper erection for years. You yeah, know. so yeah, memory is maybe not not as accurate yeah. as you think. Yeah. Um, but it is real that it's not quite as big as it used to be, as we've said. So that's an important thing: is is ongoing education about how to use the device to get the best out of it. Yeah, that's a really important thing.
0: Great. Mm. All right, well thank you so much. That's, right. That's fantastic and we'll look forward to but yeah, it's be very helpful, I'm sure, yeah. for lots of guys. Yeah. So really appreciate Great. it.
1: Thank you. All right. Thanks. Bye. I'm gonna tell you about a boy who lives inside me. It's been there all of my life. As Hi,
2: this is Dr. Joey. Thank you so much for listening to our program today. And we're pleased to let you know that we will be having weekly podcasts, not fortnightly as originally proposed. And this is because of the popularity of our podcast. We're getting so many emails, so many questions, and so much feedback. And Melissa and I greatly appreciate it. What we'd really love you to do is share our podcast with anyone you think might benefit, including any man in your life. Simply download off Spotify or subscribe to thepenisproject.org and then you'll get a weekly email of our newest releases. Also feel free to send us a review. And this will greatly help in our ongoing ability to bring you new and fresh information as that's the way we build what comes next. We also have show notes attached and This gives a bit of a background into any additional resources or explanations of what we're talking about. Finally, it's my great pleasure to let you know that PROST, the exercise program which sponsors our podcast, is now available on a USB resource for any man diagnosed with prostate cancer, an exercise program. Clinicians can buy these as well as the everyday bloke. So feel free to check out prost.com.au. Meanwhile, let's keep the conversation going. Those dread dark
1: days I learned to value each and every one Of those warm afternoons Boys on their bikes Shooting stones at each other through the trees We tried to deny the going down of the sun